This episode of The Incomparable is sponsored by Audible, the best place to find audiobooks online. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable to learn more. The Incomparable, number 142, May 2013. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and we are here at long last to talk about the second half of Season 7 of Doctor Who, one of my favorites of all time. And uh, we, we refrain from doing the Flash episode-by-episode episode podcast and instead are going to cram all eight episodes of the back half of the season into one supersized Incomparable Podcast. Joining me to talk about Doctor Who are Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello, Jason. It's good to have you. You know... There's some place I think someone could cram some of these episodes, but oh dear, oh dear, we will um, not talk about Star Trek though this time. We'll we'll save oh. that for next time. Uh, John Syracuse is also here. Hi, John. Well, that Star Trek was a fantastic movie. No, don't, don't save it. That's the next one. We got them backed up. It's summer. All right, Very, all right. Lots of things are happening, and Game of Thrones is ending, and there's so much going on. Uh, Dan Morin is also here because he's often here. Hi, Dan. I really enjoyed the Scotty parts of the oh, movie. Oh, God, I... you're killing me. Again, wrong thing. Wrong franchise. Please, please. And I've called in an expert witness. Uh, it, it is the host of a podcast that I listen to faithfully, the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, so named because it knows how to get in, say interesting things, and get out quickly, unlike other podcasts I could name, such as this one. Uh, it's Chip from the Two Minute Time Lord. Hi, Chip. Hi, uh, and I preferred Star Trek Into Darkness in the original Klingon. Oh dear, there there are original no, they're not original Klingons in it, are there? They're not unoriginal. They they don't like to talk they, about they, it. we don't speak of it. <laughs> they're enhanced Klingons. They are enhanced. They have bumpy heads. Is Chip aware that he needs to talk for more than two minutes because we often go on? Yes. Well, maybe we should all take a, a cue from Chip and talk a little less. Except for Scott, I don't often talk for more than two minutes. Actually, so. Scott, Scott's got it down. That's true. It's me and and Dan and and John who have the problem. All right, let's get into it. So they split this season in half, um, which caused much consternation among Doctor Who fans, pointing out that this means that there are fewer episodes being produced because there's essentially these half seasons over the course of two years. But be that as it may, we did have eight episodes uh, that ran over eight weeks. So we're going to think back to the start of this at the end of March, and the first episode of this uh, of this half season was The Bells of St. John, which you may remember as the episode with the, um, the uh, motorcycle that can go up the side of a building. And uh, the wi- evil Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi that that sucks you into the cloud where you. It's die. a little suspicious that Glenn isn't here on an episode that involves Wi-Fi. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Yep. Isn't it? It maybe a little maybe. So this was um bad. <laughs> it is not. It is not by far the worst episode of the season. No, but, but that's that's faint praise. I think. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Burn. Yeah, it it's this this is has the unenviable task of setting up a meeting between the doctor and his new companion. Except there's one problem, which is we've already seen them meet, you know, arguably once, if not twice, before. Um, and it, in some ways, this actually felt a little bit like a uh, like a Russell Davis episode, era episode, in the sense that um, it, it was it had a lot of high concept. What if there was an alien in the Wi-Fi? What if there was a monster that had a 
spoon for a head. <laughs> and and uh, I don't know. It, it in the end, I, I th- there are things about it that I like. I, I actually like some of the interplay between the Doctor and Clara, um, and they're they're kind of back and forth. Um, but. It, yeah, but it just was. It just seemed very generic, almost to me, as a well. I guess the obligatory introduce the companion episode. The the plot was not the high point, although I agree with you that the I liked a lot of the character interactions um, between the Doctor and Claire. I think they have the the actors have really good chemistry, and that manages to save some otherwise subpar plotting. Um, maybe that's just me, though. It's, it's chemistry in a vacuum, though. Like, uh, I, I agree that the two actors seem to want to do something, but you can't just have those personalities. You have to have a supporting story or script or something to justify that chemistry. And, uh, I, you know, I, I feel bad for the two of them in this season because nothing against the, act, the actress and Matt Smith is great and everything, but if if they're not given some kind of overall story arc to tie their chemistry to like if you think of you know uh, amy pond the girl who waited her she at least had an arc and and intention for the entire thing with her and rory in the triangle and even then that resolves and she wonders what she's doing with her life that carried the rest of her sparks through the season this 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 particular episode is a lot like a lot of the ones i think back of in the intended era where yeah the plot is silly and there's some stupid thread and maybe the thread is dumb and involves bad cg or whatever but if the companion doctor relationship and their overall arc is fine then the plot of the episode is just background for letting these two advance their plot whether it's him and donna or him and martha or whatever like they're doing their thing and in the background an episode is happening and by the way the doctor saves the day during it right this one just had the background silly story and i didn't for this entire season as a matter of fact didn't understand the the arc that they were trying to do with clara or i did and i just didn't buy into it i guess john were you bothered by the technology in this episode because this is one of those episodes where it's like the wi-fi and you log in and then you can download your brain and then re-upload your brain and you go i mean i have a i have a rant that maybe i'll go on later about about trying to hold something like doctor who to Save it for the star trek um, episode to science right <laughs> well i mean it, it works for that too i guess i am getting kind of tired of people pointing out the, the scientific flaws in in stories that are essentially fantasy stories um but i was just wondering since i know john uh, sometimes is, is especially bothered by the misuse of, of computers this seemed to have a lot of that of this sort of like the doctor ends up and the doctor of all the characters in all of science fiction ever he's the last person i would expect who would literally open up a laptop and start typing and be like i'm in i'm hacking into this thing and and he was doing it and it was it it didn't even seem like a, a parody of those things it was actually the plot device was if i type really fast computers will do magical things which is just, I mean, it's just lazy, I think. Yeah, I don't, but Doctor Who is so far off the rails in terms of being realistic computer-wise. <laughs> I, I, I complain and have complained many times on many of our Doctor Who podcasts about the series not not being willing to set down its own nonsense rules and then follow them. Like, I don't care, you know, it's never going to get real technology right, real history, or real anything right. Fine, make up your own crazy rules about, like, what, you know... What what are the rules about regeneration? What are the rule? You know, what is the the doctor's story? What is his backstory? And what are the powers of the various alien races at, at various different times? And Doctor Who is flipping about sticking to those to its own nonsense rules, and that that I find infuriating because if you're mm-hmm. not going to stick to your own nonsense rules, then I start to disengage and I start to feel like uh, nothing matters because anything can happen at any moment. Uh, but 
I never do that because the technology is wrong in terms of real world stuff because I don't have that expectation of the show. Well, this is something that's sort of uh, endemic to Doctor Who over like 50 years of history. It, it has never been consistent to itself. Um, we've just in the last uh, just in the last seven years or so, we've had uh, the show arguing with itself over whether time can be written rewritten or not. You know, <laughs> there, are fi- there are fixed points, of course. Yes, uh, uh, except when they're not. Um, or, but fixed ish. But I think that I, I think that you I. It makes me feel better about the show to think of it as, first and foremost, a family show, and second, science fantasy rather than science fiction. Um, it, that's sort of, that's, that's sort of yeah. the heritage of the thing. Um, the, the, the downside to that is that it's harder for uh, adults and fans watching it to, to sort of set, set aside our desire to ha- have everything make sense and take it, take it seriously. But you know, this is a show that's had uh, transforming, uh, transforming robots piloted by little people that can grow motorcycles. And mind you, Jason, that was a um, that was a Stephen Moffat episode, yeah. not a Russell T Davies episode. You're right. Um, yeah, I, I I have been I it has been reliably told to me that uh, not long after this episode aired, by the way, uh, people's Wi-Fi network uh, names started changing and developing uh, mysterious characters. <laughs> well, it's scary. See, this, that's the that part I like because that's the Doctor Who trick of like you know scaring kids and and people in general, but scaring kids about re- mundane things around you are scary. And that's that's I mean Moffat's trick especially is that. And I didn't mind that. I just mind the mon- the mundanity of the Doctor with a plastic laptop just kind of doing a lot of fast typing and saying i'm controlling a duplicate of myself and now i'm fixing this computer network and because that's just that's just boring and mundane and and i guess that was my 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 problem with it i to, to john's point i would argue that uh, and especially thank you chip for elucidating that the consistency of doctor who is it's inconsistent <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not asking for like you know multi-generational or even cross doctor i know i I'm know like, like because, because I, that some people are going to get all you know cranky about the fact that well that's not consistent with something that happened in, in 1972 like i don't care you know what i mean even i'm and i'm will, even willing to get clean breaks between doctors i'm just saying like like three episodes ago, or perhaps in the same episode in five minutes ago, <laughs> that yeah. was not how things work. And if you just keep changing the rules, I may get cranky. And and the thing is, like I, you know, that's my, my personal complaint with Doctor Who. But I'm willing to accept it if the other stuff carries me through. Uh, and right. that's that's you know, the trick. Yeah. yeah. Anything more to say about the Bells of Saint John? I'm disappointed that the title didn't have more to do with the episode because it was a good title and a good premise, and they have it there for two seconds, and you never see it again. Yeah. We had a, I, there were two things I, I liked particularly. One, the n- eventual neutralization of the villain that we see in the episode. What's her name? Miss Kislet. Yeah. Um, that was kind of, I thought that was dark and kind of creepy. Oh, where they erase <laughs> like the her fa- and she's a little girl's mind. Yes. In, in like I thought that was, that, yeah. that effectively creeped me out. Um, so I, so thumbs up to that. Yeah. That was, that was the other thing I liked about, about this episode was that. Yeah. And we have the setup for the great intelligence, although we also, mm. you know, yeah, they could they could have done more with that. But I'm sure we'll go into that, yeah, shortly. Well, and, and the very least, this episode teaches you a valuable lesson about not logging in to random Wi-Fi, strange no. Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. other people's Kids, Wi-Fi. It'll eat your that. brain. Yeah. Uh, although, is there a human being on the planet who is as clueless about <laughs> uh, logging into Wi-Fi as Clara is in the beginning? Yeah, really? Well, well, that was the thing I was going to say to your technology point, which is like logging on to Wi-Fi. It's like, all right, 
this isn't like a hacking into an SSH shell, right? Like this is the one thing everybody in the world who's got a computer has done at some point. At least represent it reasonably. Also, if you're if you're going to take over people's brains, don't put in unintelligible symbols on there. Just say free public Wi-Fi in all caps. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> that would be too scary, Jason. Too scary. It's all right, let's move on because you see, we've only got it started, and and the best is yet to come because the next episode. Oh man, is is Neil Cross's The Rings of Akaten, um, which is a very, very, very strange episode where they go to this, uh, I guess it's like a space station or a, so, something, or a moon that's orbiting a, a, what looks like it's a gas giant, although maybe it's a sun. I'm, I was kind of unclear on some of the details. It's a very strange episode. The Doctor ends up waking up this old god who turns out to be not the old god but the guy who who when he wakes up it wakes up the old god it's a did i mention that it's a really strange episode and what i liked about it was that it was unlike any doctor who episode i've ever seen before and it it was really trying very hard to be weird and bizarre what i didn't like about it is that it made no sense and it was awful so that's my what did you think <laughs> other than that it was pretty good no i mean i like i like being bold i i loved i loved that it was weird but i didn't like the episode you could see the kirby crackle everywhere couldn't you yeah, it, it's cosmic, man. Like like far out space hippie Jack Kirby cosmic. The, the plot the plot is broken. I mean, that was the thing that bothered me. The pacing on it was so weird. Like it just, you know, it kind of would shove these things into like things that should take a be sort of a drawn out thing into like two second bursts. I mean, there's some really great stuff in there. I liked sort of the the feeling of the planet when they're first wandering around it. There's all the aliens everywhere. Oh yeah, and they find the little girl. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of there the 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 sort of what we think is the villain at the beginning. Again, an effectively creepy monster creation. Even the scary like eventual villain which which brought me back to some of the uh, David Tennant was it the 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 Satan pit, you know, oh, that, yeah. that that there was there was some creepy stuff there too, but as an episode it doesn't hang together. It's totally weird. She's flying a motorbike through space. It's like, I don't know. It just to me, the structure and overall uh, construction of it just seemed like eh, totally wrong and just off. Yeah, there's lots of Doctor Who episodes where he comes to some alien situation and there's something that there's something that seems strange or a little bit off, and the viewer knows it before the people in the episode, and you're you're rooting for him to figure out that something is weird. And when that's the central mystery of an episode, like oh my god, this spaceship is surrounding a giant whale that we're torturing, you know, like. <laughs> whatever yeah whatever similar episode there, that's a that's a doctor who formula and sometimes the mystery is dumb and sometimes it's not uh and that's where i thought this one was going but it didn't there's a little girl and she's a little <laughs> bit mysterious and then it just goes off in about 800 different directions at once and by the seventh thing they're explaining that this guy's the alarm clock and not the thing and you got to hold the door but you got to do this and it's heavy but the, like it's just I, I, you know i you, you lose me and and, and yeah the motorcycle the heavy door but there's like, a back door so someone it's okay. likes uh you know, mounted vehicles in this episode because he goes at the side of the building on an actual motorcycle, and now we have a space motorcycle. All right, whatever. Well, which is interesting too, because this is this is Neil Cross, who I think this is the first time we've seen him uh, write a Doctor Who episode. He's previously, I was just looking, he's the he's the showrunner of Luther, which is an excellent show, by the way, although a very very dark, disturbing. The story show. is he wrote Hyde, which we'll get to in a minute, right? Which is the best show in the season. And, and, and then argue. they said they said here write another one, and this is ah. Well, maybe he only had one good one in him. <laughs> this one I actually liked far more than I should have for all for, for all the reasons that you guys said. Um, I, I shouldn't have cared for it, but there's something audacious about it. 
I mean, there. I agree. It, it is. It is. It is weird. <laughs> it is weird stuff. Pyramids and giant pumpkin-headed suns or planets or whatever that <laughs> or whatever is. Whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, you know. Um, it's unclear. And, uh, Clara coming to the rescue with a leaf and all this stuff. It, it shouldn't. It shouldn't work for me. And if I and if I am honest with myself, if I look deeply into myself, yes, it doesn't work. But um, I I'm a sucker for the operatic stuff and the RTD years, uh, the Russell Davies years. You know, there that was operatic and sentimental and and sometimes to its detriment. But it. it this was a noble f- failure to me, and I kind of forgave. I kind of forgave the failure because it was something that I hadn't seen in Doctor Who before, and I would like to see Doctor Who get weird as hell more often, yeah. just a little more, a little more plot coherence and uh, believable physics would be nice too. I feel like if they had scaled back the weird just a little at the end it might have hung together more having the layers of the like the bad guy who's not really the bad guy have where you've got the whole satan pit kind of thing the consumption of memory thing which happens so late in the game and it makes it seem like the doctor's memories are going to be consumed but then he's fine it, you know that 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 was it it was it piled on so high and every time i was like trying to catch up and say well wait a second how, what does that mean and it didn't mean anything and we moved on to the next weird thing but i i agree with you about how audacious it is i would hate for doctor who to be boring i i, I much prefer it striving and failing than just kind of having another i mean that that's the thing about uh bells of saint john is that it's it's a little more bog standard doctor who and i i think i'd rather them not I, I'd like them to shoot for the stars a little bit more, even if it means that they explode in failure from time yeah. to time. Doctor Who fans are notoriously conservative. This was so not a conservative episode. <laughs> no. I, I thought it was a little bit timid, though, because whenever I see ep- Doctor Who episodes that have lots of false endings, like Jason was saying, like, oh, this is the big climax. He's going to eat his memories or not, or he's going to, you know, it's a battle of wills against this just... And then there would be another thing after that, another thing, like lots and lots of false endings because they're afraid to commit to the consequences of any one that they had put up before that. That shows me that they they either didn't know how to finish it or they were trying to have their cake and eat it too and have seven dramatic moments at the end. You just got to pick one. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, the same thing with the middle part of this. Like, could we have just cut out all the middle business and jumped right to the end where he's staring at the big giant pumpkin sun and sucking memories out of him and the leaf like... I, I feel, you know, the, the Russell C. Davies, you know, the, the music, which they have not overused this season, but they definitely did at the end of the Tenant run, where the music goes and they want to have this big epic thing happening, and you have to earn that. And I think in the Tenant seasons, they did earn that a significant amount of times, then towards the end, they were just sort of like going through the motions. And this one, this episode, I don't think they earned, they, don't, they didn't earn the payoff uh, the way they wanted to, especially since there were so many different false starts in there. If I have a specific complaint about this episode, it would be although it tried a billion different things and sort of one after the other, some of them were familiar enough that I felt like it was almost it was a little less audacious at times and a little more recycled. And I don't know whether that's maybe that Neil Cross just wasn't aware that he was exploring ideas that had already been explored. But like the singing in this episode is kind of interesting and weird, but it reminded me of gridlock where there was also a lot of singing and it was done better. The Satan pit very much an episode that I think is underrated from the tenant era. Um, uh, the ending of this is very reminiscent of that, so I felt like I'd seen that before, and that was kind of disappointing. It's like recycled bits in this episode, too. 
even them wandering around on the planet at the beginning reminds me of uh, the Doctor and Donna doing their thing um, in... Um, the bug goes on her back, yeah. 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 That was a better episode than this. <laughs> Yeah, this reminded me of better episodes. So, so several points for uh, for for uh, trying something new, but it didn't work. Too bad it was crap. <laughs> Scott comes in there at the end, just lays it down. <laughs> it's too bad. What's that safe on people Brox uh, line? <laughs> ten out of ten for style. Uh, Negative several thousand points out of ten. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird, weird. I, you know, I don't mind the weird. Uh, it, this actually, uh, this episode reminded me a little bit of, uh, of Farscape. For those who might have remembered that show, that was a show that um, had episodes that were it was storytelling in a way that I just had never really experienced. It was, I think, maybe something about it being made in Australia. Maybe, maybe the writers were um, writing it in in a style that I'm not used to watching, mostly American and some British TV. And it reminded me of that a little bit too. Like, I'm not quite sure what I'm watching. This doesn't seem to be how you would tell this story at all. And I like that because I feel completely disconnected from my expectations. Um, It just let me down in the end, but, but weird, weird is not bad. Weird is good. It just didn't work. All right, let's move on to cold war uh, written by Mark Gatiss. This is a, the uh 80s nuclear submarine episode with the Terminal return of the ice warriors could this can this scene get can this season get any more i love that we have okay we've gone from the evil wi-fi yes to uh the strange alien planet with singing to the cold war nuclear submarine episode i just i do enjoy as you were saying a little bit before about them being bold it does seem like they have really decided to cut loose and jump around a lot like tonally if you mix in the first half of the season that that aired last fall um you know in in some ways these all these standalone episodes it is sort of Stephen moffat saying i will show you just how versatile doctor who is which has always been one of the great things about doctor who is it can it can be anything from week to week and so this week we have this 80s uh cold war uh nuclear submarine slash monster movie plot that happens here with david warner as the russian scientist who likes listening to english pop on his walkman which i actually i, I love david warner and I think and, he's great. and i believe davos seaworth as the captain of the submarine yes oh, that's yes. right the onion knight he's, he's sadly illiterate no Finally, gets he still 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 gets to sail a boat i'm very confused by your mixing of game of thrones with doctor who so i watched this episode twice um, I actually, when I watched it the first time, partly because I was watching it with my family and it was, and it was a little bit chaotic and we were eating dinner. Um, and, and I, I didn't like it, um, at all. And when I watched it the second time, I actually liked it better. Um, I was, I think my expectations were off when I watched this the first time. I was really disappointed David Warner didn't have much to do, but he has, he has enough to do. I think I, I, I you know, he, he's a lot of fun. Um, and I liked that the ice warrior is, a strange thing because it's sort of like the fifth or sixth or seventh Doctor Who monster, right? It's way down on the list. Hasn't been around since the early 70s. Uh, and they tried to do something new with it. I, this did feel like one of those episodes where they had sort of um, way too much story to pack in. And so there are a lot of just jumping around and and, and cut corners. Um, I don't know. What did, what did you guys think? Well, why should there be that much story for this kind of episode? Because this is the kind I was actually hoping for before I saw the episode. Like, the, the kind where he's trapped in a confined space. I guess the ones where they have low budget. You know, like, we're going to have one set. I guess uh, this is not that low budget. But where the doctor is trapped in a spaceship or a vessel or a transport of some kind. And the whole story is going to take place there. And they're going to be trapped in there. And there's going to be danger. And, like, 
this is epitomized for me for the episode, whatever it was. The thing, it's got diamond or something. Oh, midnight. midnight. Or, yeah, midnight. midnight. Where, where, yeah. With the creepy people talking to it. Like, that's one room. And yeah. all you need there is one room, some windows, some blue screens, uh, and a good script. And, it, you know, it's the doctor trapped in a strange situation. He's got to figure his way out. I'm all thumbs up for those episodes. Great. Put him on a submarine. There's something wrong in the submarine. Maybe there's an alien. Maybe they're trapped. Maybe the submarine doesn't have power. And conveniently, he's parked the TARDIS out in Lot J, and he can't get to it again. <laughs> he always does that. I don't know why. Uh, fine. Go with that. But... The Ice Warrior, who I didn't know because I, I started watching Doctor Who, you know, with uh, Eccleston, so I had no idea he was a previous villain. Uh, yeah, kind of like his motivation was never really clear. I didn't know how to read him. He's angry, right? Because yeah. they tried to cattle prod well, sometimes him. Sometimes he's angry, and he's, but sometimes... and he's out of time because he's been frozen for 5,000 years. Yeah. You're right. It's a weird combination where, like, he really, essentially, the speech that the Doctor gives is, ooh, he really holds a grudge. <laughs> he's you're gonna be sorry he's really a mean guy and they like chain him up and they leave him alone and then clara has to go down there for some reason why does she have to oh i guess we have to put her in peril and then she runs yeah. around and it's just you know i like i like the uh the 80s vibe i liked most of the submarine crew i like the fact that the, the submarine was like disabled and you're in danger in a submarine that's always good but the alien sure. was kind of noise Meh. i would have liked a better doctor trapped in a weird situation thing yeah i mean Middling for me. I mean, I, I like Cold War stuff a lot. And, I'm, you know, I think there's a deliberate attempt here to evoke things like Hunt for Red October, which is a great movie. Sure. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't... Something didn't quite fire on all the right cylinders for me. But there is a lot of stuff to like. I like you. I like David Warner. I thought he was great. It was. I, I enjoyed his character, even if he is only used sporadically. But I really enjoyed... They yeah. had, he had some good interplay with Clara, I thought. Good stuff with Clara, yeah. Um, and so, again... Uh, uh, Maybe some oddly constructed at times, but overall, I would give this one, you know, a slightly better than average. This is one of the things that I, I see some uh, Doctor Who fans comment about a lot of these episodes this season was it, it could have been a two-parter. And I actually feel like most of the cases, what it, what 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 I feel is that it should have been simplified. Not that it could have been a two-parter, but that it just should have been simpler. Like Skaldak, the Ice Warrior, I feel like his motivations could have been simpler. I, I feel like it might have been scarier if he had actually like thawed out or cracked out of the of the ice, but instead there's just like... As opposed to this one idiot sailor. With a blowtorch. <laughs> hey, I want to accelerate the plot. <laughs> I want to see what is in this thing. Yes, I will get shot by a firing squad for doing this, but I'm just so, that curious, right? When it's like, it would wouldn't it have been scarier if he had been, you know, slowly melting out, and the doctor's like, "What, what, what, you, what did you find? Let me see it," and and it, and they get there too late. But instead, they have that, and that's kind of dumb. And and then the cattle prod, does, he's an ice warrior. He's a, he's kind of a monster anyway. And then and then the nuclear uh, missiles too was sort of like bizarrely like he figures out because the one guy wants to, the one Russian officer wants to start Armageddon, so he he gives the launch information to the ice war i don't know well, it you just gotta like it was have, too much. if you have an 80s nuclear submarine episode you have to have launch codes and nuclear annihilation feature sure. in the plot like it just it's mandatory sure i just the way that they did it seemed you know i, I don't know I just, I just kept feeling like there was a whole lot going on and that it could have been simpler and it would have been more effective that's true of many episodes in the season there, there are too, like there are too many moving parts and i agree with you if anyone was if anyone was suggesting i'm glad i didn't read these comments on the internet that these that many of these episodes should have been two parters like, no <laughs> oh, yes. they should have been simplified into a good one parter <laughs> because there, can you imagine how bad some of these would have been in two parts they were just you know they were sprawling enough one thing about this one, um, there's a name I would like to uh, 
to, to to sear into your minds, and that is the name Michael Pickwood. He is the production designer of oh, yeah, yeah. Doctor Who these days. Um, these episodes, and this one in particular, uh, they look terrific. They yes. made this. They made the sub look as claustrophobic as they could within the limitations of actually shooting it on a set rather than on some decommissioned radioactive uh, Russian sub. Or well, the water like so, spraying everywhere is. I mean, that's got to be super expensive because you actually have to contain the water and not electrocute people. So they yeah. spent a lot of money on that. Yeah, uh, and it looks at. Um, uh, the Ice Warriors, yeah, the ancient, ancient um, bad guy, rubber, rubber suit bad guys, and I'm a very bad Doctor Who fan in that I cannot forgive some of the uh, the some of the crappy costuming and the rubber suited monsters and all that stuff from the 70s. I thought they did a an actually decent job of um, updating this this creature that I had absolutely no interest in seeing. Um, it, it looked it looked kind of credible. Um, maybe I like not the conceit for... that it's that, that it's a suit of armor and there's a slithery lizardy monster inside it. I, I, yeah. Instead of just a guy in a big bumbling suit, which is what it was, was like, like in, in the old days. Yeah, yeah. Well, except they, this guy can move around. Maybe they could have done a little bit more than just uh, have some guy wearing a pair of gloves uh, sort of dangling upside down off camera <laughs> to put their hands on the guy's heads to be scary. But All that you know. water in the submarine was like, very expensive. They couldn't yeah. afford more CGI. I, I did yeah. like how he stays to the shadows so you can't see him clearly <laughs> so that it's less complex CGI. Yeah. But you guys are right. This is uh, this is what they called uh, back in the second Doctor episodes. This is what they called a base under siege story. And uh, so many of these episodes are not just uh, ep- efforts to show you the different kinds of things that Doctor Who can do uh, in genre, but they're actually efforts to mimic episodes from the past. You know, it's it's almost a it's almost a 50th anniversary thing in and of itself that okay, let's do a Patrick Troughton um base under siege story with the Ice Warriors. Here you go. Uh let's do something that Douglas Adams must have been smoking something really interesting, so we'll do the Rings of Akaten, <laughs> you know, things things like that. Um I like this one. It was um it 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 had sort of the um uh Hunt for Red October kind of vibe, uh, not terribly substantial, but um, it, it pacey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I liked it better the second time. I, I wouldn't say that it was great. I think the ending is also kind of questionable with the, and they come and they get him and he decides to show mercy and, you know, but but uh, the, I, I, you're right. I think Doctor Who has never looked better in any of these episodes, and this is a good example of that. Um and a funny ending where it turns out the TARDIS has parked it um, in Antarctica at the South Pole. And he needs a ride because they're at the North Pole. All right, let's move on to Hyde. And I, I want to do that because uh, this is the the episode that Neil Cross wrote um, that, that made them sit up and say, you should write another episode, which led to the Rings of Akaten. Um, and I'm going to say it. I think maybe this is the best this is certainly the best episode of Doctor Who in a couple of years, at least. It is one of my favorites of uh, the entire revival, certainly of the Stephen Moffat era, but probably the entire revival. I think Doctor Who has never looked better. And although there are some problems, I have some quibbles with some of the storytelling. Uh, this is the episode that's set in the 70s. It's all these kind of orange and brown tones. There's the uh, there's the professor uh, and, his, uh, and his assistant, who is an empath. 
that they go and visit in a haunted house. Um, and I, I just, I loved everything about this episode. Really, I like how it looks. I like the the two pairs of characters working together. Um, and I even, I even like the the kind of weird parallel universe that the doctor ends up in which is colored you know all blues and cold colors after all the warmth of the of the 70s mansion and i even like the twist where it's in true doctor who fashion not actually a haunted house at all but involves something science fictional so dan you said that you you really like this one too right i did a lot of the same reasons i mean the production value as you said was great i thought it was effectively it was very atmospheric yeah i mean if there's one thing they've nailed this season it's really a lot of the atmosphere is great but this one managed to deliver i think on something that was both kind of eerie um with the whole ghost story part of it and also that somehow connected back to even when even when that that eeriness gets neutralized quote unquote you know because it's explained what the what the background is behind it it's still creepy like the creatures that you deal with even if they're determined to eventually not be exactly harmful, they're still creepy. Right. Um, and I think that's nice. There's sort of a through line there. It's not like, oh, silly to be worried about that thing all along. Um, I appreciate that. I mean, there were, you know, little pieces here and there. There's some great casting. Again, Doug Ray Scott um, as the professor. I, I love the oh, guy. Yeah. He reminded me very... The the the, the atmosphere of this reminds me very much of the BBC, BBC show The Hour which is a period drama, um, yeah. and they, they do a nice job of... I was, I was listening to him, and he's got the same accent as one of the characters on that show, and it's like, he's got that nice Scottish brogue. It reminds me of... Um, I mean, it reminds me of 70s Doctor Who, too, which is, I think, part right. of the point. We should mention Jessica Rain too, who is the midwife of Call the Midwife, if you are not familiar. It's big. It's a big British show. Americans love Watch it. it. She is the midwife. And I, I turned to my wife halfway through, and I said... I said, I don't know how this story is going to end up. And the, the last five minutes or so is not great. Uh, but I said, this is the best looking Doctor Who episode I have ever seen. Like, this this is like feature film quality look. Now, they constrained it to the sets in the haunted house. But the way it's shot, the way, it, the way the, the, it's colored, um, just am- amazing work. I, I find it kind of ironic that we're talking about lots of script problems this season. Uh, as opposed to saying, well, you know, it's very imaginative, but they didn't have much of a budget, so it looks terrible. This is the reverse of that. It's like there's some script problems, but it looks great. I enjoy that we get the holographic interface to the TARDIS back again. That's a call, that's a callback to to uh, uh, David Tennant and Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, and I just enjoy that it, you know Claire gets to argue with herself for a while. Yes. Um, also, as a, as is my want, I will mention that I enjoyed that there were several elements in this episode that reminded me of Supernatural. <laughs> oh dan oh dan well there's cold spots with ghosts and stuff like yeah, that there it's are very... creepy ghosts except it yeah. turns out that they're it turns out that it's a uh, an alien or it's a time traveler who's lost in time um but but has glommed on to these people because they're her ancestors and uh and then also there are a pair of of aliens who have gotten separated i guess because of the space time displacement i'm unclear on that one but they 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 want to they want to all the spooky stuff is actually just an alien that misses its mate. It just wants and to be loved. Jason. It just wants to be loved. Like, like even all scary space creatures. Even scary, ugly aliens want to be loved. So that's that's and I I like the fact that it's this time traveling person who's gotten kind of lost in time, and he does the whole thing where he takes again taking a page sort of from uh, 
the, the Russell T. Davis episode, he takes uh, he takes Clara from the beginning of life on the earth to the end of life on the earth while he's taking pictures, which is a nice little montage as he figures out that this this uh, astronaut is caught in a very slow time parallel time thingy. If I could jump in here about uh, Clara. Um... When we see her uh, at the first half of the series um, in um, The Asylum of the Daleks and The Snowmen, she is just so ridiculously competent. It's, yeah. It, it's amazing. Um, here, all the way through this, especially in this episode, she's I – won't, I won't say generic because I, 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 there's something about her performance that I simply adore. I think she's the best companion actress the show's had um, since 2005. But um, – but she's not the superwoman. She is. Uh, she is an ordinary girl who is, uh, who rises to the occasion sometimes and gets scared sometimes. Um, I, I, I get what you guys were saying earlier about her being a bit of a cipher um, and how the actor has to pour a lot into it. I love what Jenna Louise Coleman does with this role. Even when there's not much on the page, I, I, I still am just sort of watching. I, I like Jenna Louise Coleman a lot. I, I have a theory about Clara, uh, which is that in some ways she's written to be uh, the perfect assist, assistant, the perfect companion. So she's kind of ticking all the boxes in a way to just sort of like be, and, and that's part of that mystery of what is she and why is she the impossible girl and all of that. And and so she does read a lot different than like Oswin in the Sign of the Daleks, who's super knowledgeable and super snarky in a way that Clara isn't. Um, but the pair, the pairing in this episode too, of Clara and the Doctor, and I guess this is the first episode they shot together after the Christmas special. So uh, this is the first episode where she was acting as the modern day Clara. Um, I, I don't know. I like the I like the interaction there, and then the interactions across the 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 uh, the pairs where the Doctor is talking to the Professor and and Clara is talking to Emma about um, you know about their their sort of roles in these in these this two sets of relationships. I thought this episode was a good demonstration of the uh, the opposite of what the previous ones had done, where what happens when you take away maybe 30, 40, 50 percent of your story elements and you're left with a few haunted house, one single mystery, what the explanation is for the haunted house, two people in the house, one relationship between them, the doctor's relationship with the partner. Maybe I would le- lose the lovesick monster creature yeah. like to drop that one out. But other than that, like there's not that many elements. There's there's one set. There's very simple threats, simple explanations for them. You don't have to move to seven different locations to resolve this plot or whatever. And when you have that room to breathe, then you can, you know, flesh out the relationship between the the professor and the assistant and flesh out the different ways that Clara can feel instead of just being, you know, smirky and and pouty and clever, having a couple of, you know. And it it just gives the, the show room to breathe, I thought. And it's nice that it was, you know a single set or I don't even know was this a real house or a real set but anyway it did it did look good you didn't have to have lots of green screen and bad CG and everything and just let the show breathe and yeah. then you get a nice episode right there's really nice quiet scenes of dialogue in the first half of this with the various characters in the haunted house that are so great and not kind of insanely fast paced and you're right it, it does it does breathe because it's a simpler story Scott did you have a verdict on this one uh, I say this one's good thumbs all right. up all right I don't like Clara, but other than that, uh, in uh, any of them. But wow, <laughs> what? That's what? insanity. <laughs> I don't like her. I think that uh, I mean I, the actress. I'm sure is a, a lovely person. And she's doing a fine job. Why do you, Why do you hate Genevieve Coleman <laughs> personally? You're personally, so mean. why do you? Well, 
she did snub me once, but that's for she, another She time. knows what she did, right, Scott? <laughs> exactly. She, I don't need to tell her. She's the impossible girl. She knows. Uh, I, 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 I just have a problem with her character, not, not uh, the character itself. I feel like they're building – well, I, I mean it's the – we saw the finale. So they're building up to this big mystery, and which they didn't really reveal in the uh, finale. Uh, and I think that ultimately it will just be a disappointment. And that her character will just serve to annoy me. If, you, if you're expecting her to be special because she's special in some way, the answer is that's not it. It's she's special because she makes a, a, a decision to do something that leads to this. But it's not like there was a super secret about why she's so exceptional. Although that's sort of refreshing in some ways after some of the other companion stories we've had. But uh, all right, Scott. She knows what she did. <laughs> she She does. And I don't like the fact that they keep telling, uh, like, oh, look, she's so special. She's so... Uh, competent. She can do everything. Well, uh, that's because she had don't... all the knowledge of computers downloaded into her brain accidentally. No, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> Before we leave this episode on the subject of mysteries, there's another aspect of this I like that you know we have this central mystery of the the haunted apparition shape and what the professor is investigating, uh, and they're going to give one explanation for that, and the explanation doesn't have to be like, oh, I never would have thought of that because it's kind of not obvious, but like it makes sense within the context of time travel. But uh, as Dan said, even after they explain it to you and it makes sense, it's still sort of creepy, and that's what you want. You don't you don't have to like kill yourself trying to think of something that's so clever that no viewer will ever think of it, because then it ends up being absurd or stupid. You know, give an explanation for this, and once you know the explanation, you're like, "Ooh, that's still kind of unsettling and weird." You know, yeah. That that's what I look for in a Doctor Who premise, and it, sometimes I think they're just trying too hard to out clever themselves and you don't need to do that like it, it can it can be almost kind of obvious or, or at least obvious in retrospect as long as there's something to it like like a twilight zone episode or something where right the, the big the ones you remember is like oh it's some crazy twist or whatever but just some of them are just unsettling and that's fine too i have to say um there's doctor who fans like to speculate in addition to complaining about how it's not as as good as it was when it was six 25 minute episodes of the genesis of the daleks another thing doctor who episodes like or doctor who fans like to fret about are uh when will the doctor be leaving and when will who will the next showrunner be um to replace stephen moffat who will that be and will it be mark gatiss will it be somebody else And, and i will say that if i had a vote today of the people who've been involved with doctor who up to now i think i might actually say neil cross uh, I know he's got Luther and he might have other things on his mind and might not want to do it. But I only say that because this was a very good episode that showed his kind of storytelling in a way that wasn't all frantic and packed in. And yeah, he wrote that really crazy episode, The Rings of Akaten. But I would say there that that I would cite that as an example of him being willing to try crazy stuff. So you put the two together and that's not a bad combination. So, you know, maybe... This I'll... reminded me of uh, Blink in some ways. I mean, there's a similar sort of atmosphere... A similar sure. sort of, I mean, you've got the time era too, right? Like they're playing around with a little bit. Um, I don't know. I just, I, there was something very atmospheric and effective about that. And, you know, Blink obviously I think is, I don't know, most people probably agree the one of the best, if not the best episode since the reboot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if that's your, your product, you know, if that's sort of the precedent you're looking at, then this is a pretty good audition. Yeah, I agree. That's why they asked him to write another episode and it was Rings of Akaten. But, you know, hey. This was a good episode. Can't win them all. No. All right, I'm going to take a minute 
away from our discussion of Doctor Who to talk about our sponsor. Yes, it's hard to believe, but it's true. The Incomparable has a sponsor, and it's a great sponsor. It's Audible, the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks with over 100,000 titles in virtually every genre. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. You can listen to audiobooks anytime, anywhere, on any device, on your computer, on your iPhone, on your iPad, on a Kindle, uh, you name it, and they've got it. Audible is offering incomparable listeners a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial. Go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable to take advantage of this special offer. Now, what book am I going to recommend to you? This is a Doctor Who episode of The Incomparable, so I'm going to recommend two Doctor Who-related audiobooks. One of them is Shada, which, if you don't know, is the lost episode of the Tom Baker years of Doctor Who. It was written by Douglas Adams, but due to an industrial action, as they call it, which is basically a strike, um, they shot all of the... Uh, all the outdoor stuff, and then they were supposed to go into the studio to shoot the rest of the episode, and all the studio uh, stagehands were on strike, so they never finished the episode. It's become this legendary lost episode of Doctor Who. So Gareth Roberts, who works on the modern Doctor Who staff as a script editor, took Douglas Adams' original screenplay and adapted it into a novel, sort of in the style of Douglas Adams. And the audiobook is narrated by Lala Ward, who played Romana, the companion, in that episode of Doctor Who. So Shada just came out, uh, narrated by Lala Ward, S-H-A-D-A. You can check it out in the show notes, and it's on audible.com. And then the other thing I'll, I'll, uh, I'll plug is something called Hornet's Nest. It's, again, a Tom Baker. This is notable because um, for the first time in decades, Tom Baker came back and narrated this uh, series of audiobooks called Hornet's Nest, written by Paul Mars, uh, that are uh, not quite audiobooks and not quite full-cast audio plays. They're somewhere in between. It features Tom Baker. It also features Richard Franklin, who played Mike Yates in the original series, and several other actors. Uh, And it's a really interesting, weird, creepy series of audio adventures starring the fourth Doctor. So those are just two of the many, many Doctor Who titles, including books read by David Tennant and Matt Smith, that you'll find on Audible. So once again... If you want that free 30-day trial and a free audiobook, go to audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable and sign up. That will make them very happy. That will make us very happy. Anyway, back to the latest and greatest Doctor Who now. Journey to the center, C-E-N-T-R-E, because it's English, of the TARDIS. Speaking of, you can't win them all. (laughs) All right, the knives are out. Uh, this is the episode in which um, these guys on a salvage ship turn on a big magnet, which breaks the TARDIS, uh, I guess, because... Because the doctor turned everything the, off. Because the, so, the, so, the, so the cleric could drive piloted. the TARDIS, yeah. Because yeah. if you're going to ha- you're going to hand over your time machine to someone who's never piloted a time machine... Turn off the turn shields. Turn off all the shields. Yeah. Because that makes perfect sense. Sure. Why not? And And it does something terrible... Uh, that causes the TARDIS to supposedly self-destruct in in 30 minutes. So the Doctor essentially forcibly kidnaps the crew of the salvage ship, telling them that he's going to blow up the TARDIS if they don't help him find Clara, who is lost somewhere inside. Um, 
there's also a scene in the beginning of this where where they find they see some feet underneath the TARDIS, like somebody's been crushed by the TARDIS, and then the Doctor appears from behind them, and it was unclear to me what that was and whether that was supposed to be the Doctor, uh, Wicked Witch of the West. It was a witch. Yeah, it was a witch. Yeah, the feet sure. girl right up. That's right. It was, and and then they go through, and there are there are time zombies wandering around in the TARDIS, <laughs> and the TARDIS goes on forever, and and. Uh, and uh, Chip, I think this might actually be from your podcast. Uh, we finally get to see the inside of the TARDIS, which consists largely of corridors and one tracking shot where she walks past a bunch of entryways where there's been a green screen and matted in is like a picture of a swimming pool and a picture of a library. We've been waiting for ages to see the inside of the TARDIS and it's Huey Lewis in the news heart and soul video. <laughs> it's just really boring. Well, the library and was nice. I thought the library was The nice. library was nice and very tall and I like that. But that, that scene where she's going past all of those, it's like, you know, sometimes your imagination is better than the than the reality, or at least the budget constrained reality of it. I I found in in the Christmas Invasion, I actually backed up and watched that scene of David Tennant in the uh, wardrobe picking his clothes out like a million times, being like, "Oh, look!" and there's a spiral staircase, and it's all this, and that was it that we had seen, other than when Amy runs around in the Neil Gaiman episode, The Doctor's Wife. So we get it here, and it's kind of boring inside there. It's just running around in corridors with time zombies i i think you 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 nail it with the sometimes your imagination is better and i think that's that's one thing that it's really hard for a lot of tv shows to realize especially things like doctor who which has such a long history behind it is sometimes your imagination is better sometimes you don't need to show everything and the suggestion of something especially that, that works great in in horror too right i think there's a lot of times where it's like when you let the person's imagination fill in the scary thing as opposed to showing them the scary thing which is a right. guy in a rubber suit or a crappy cgi monster it's much scarier when your mind is filling in the blanks so the same way here and, and there's stuff i don't know this is a problem with you know i think they're they're succumbing to this temptation of it's the 50th anniversary we got to pull out all the stops yes so definitely. we're getting the inside of the tardis they're talking about the name of the doctor as we'll get to in a little bit um, all this stuff where, where it's like, don't you lose more by bounding it to something in reality now and, and possibly hemming yourself in later? Sure, the TARDIS is infinite and you can probably get away with having all sorts of, you know, uh, additional things here on down the road. But at the same time, it just, I don't know. It's to me, it is, it is, it's no matter what it would have been, it would have been anticlimactic. It would not have lived up to it. Like the fields of Trenzalore. Like, we don't need an explanation of that. It's just great as a mystery, right, guys? Right. But, but uh, so that was my main problem with this episode is right. I accept that the TARDIS is infinite on the inside, right? And so why would the doctor bother? You know, Shanghaiing, Shanghaiing three barely competent. <laughs> Uh, salvage guys to help him yeah. look for someone in the TARDIS that he has been flying around in in hundreds of years and he has seemingly no idea where anything is either although of course he says the TARDIS is reconfiguring itself fine whatever but it just doesn't make any sense there's no reason for him well, to bring them with those him. three had to learn an important lesson about turning your brother into a robot <laughs> there was a moral at the end of the story it's like and that was it don't do that there's a couple things in there that are, are see there are things in there that are great ingredients right i like the idea of someone being lost inside the tardis because it's huge and i like the idea even that the doctor doesn't know all the way around it because we've established that it's basically a living entity right and it's temperamental i mean i'm okay with that i even like the fact that he that he basically tries to blackmail these guys you know threaten them into helping him even if it turns out to be a bluff, because 
again, it's that edge line that we've seen the doctor walk in the past where it's, um, well, sometimes he's kind of insane. And I, I kind of like when they veer into some of the darker stuff for him. And we haven't seen that as much with Matt Smith um, as we did say toward the end of the David Tennant run. Um, but there's there's definitely stuff in there. There are ingredients I like. The problem is, yeah, they're connected kind of haphazardly and there's stuff that doesn't really make any sense. I, I couldn't figure out, I got to the end of like, you know, where they had the time zombies and I was like, wait a second, wait a second. What, what, who were these guys? What happened? Um, I like the idea that one of them was Clara all burned up. That was a, that was, that was satisfying to me. Wow. No, not, not in the way that Scott would have meant it if he had said it, but <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it, it was an interesting twist. Although there are things about that that sort of don't make any sense either. Well, like uh, Clara's story is very confused and I'm always looking for something to latch onto her as her arc. So whenever they hint at the fact that, uh, she, her story is that she doesn't know that she's constantly dying and the doctor's trying to hide that from her. That's a reasonable tension that they kind of let sputter is that like she could if she had kept dying and the, the doctor was tortured by the fact that he knew that she was going to keep dying and it's hard to like hang out with somebody when you know, OK, well, in 10 minutes, you're probably going to die. Uh, but I really don't want you to know that because I'm going to meet you in the next episode anyway. But they didn't didn't really stick to that. But in this episode, it was there a little bit where he's like. I know that that's you and you're probably going to die. And I know it's tough to keep going on if you know that's going to happen to you. But just, you know, we got to kind of go with the flow here. And you might be pregnant. Oh, that's <laughs> no, wait. <laughs> I'm confused. That's totally different. Also, they, they uh, you're going to be fine and look fine until at some point you instantly turn into a molten lava uh, monster zombie time guy and isn't that true for all of us well that's the place where special effects are a limiting factor you can only you know yeah i was just kind of hoping that that uh could you could you not tell this and have them like become increasingly kind of damaged looking and and be like you know we're not going to make it now we're you know we're doomed and and then they realize that these guys are them but instead it was sort of like you know i I like the scene where they're locked uh, they're surrounded on both sides and they're in this fatal chamber i mean that's that's pretty good right that's not a bad little set piece that they like well what do we do we have zombies over there and zombies over here and we're standing in this fatal radiation this is not good zombies to the left of us zombies to <laughs> yeah, the right of us exactly as the you know it's a classic i think shakespeare did something about that yeah, anyway the star, the star wars <laughs> ending too so take that clara to anchorhead and have its memory erased that'll be yeah. the end of it yeah, I did. Yeah. I liked. I actually kind of liked the ending. Just in the sense, I know it, people could say, "Well, it's just a, a reset button and all that." But we saw the. It's a very literal reset button. Yeah, yeah, big friendly button, and it, we see it at the beginning, and it comes back at the end, and it, I don't think that's much different than having uh, you know Data see the three dots on Riker's <laughs> collar and say, "Oh, okay," and you know that that's sort of not the point. And I felt like they had set it up in the beginning enough that it didn't bother me in the end when when he rewrites the past. The brothers, though, I didn't like that. That was that seems that was such a bizarre story about the brother who they told is an android. And there's always one extra plot line. Always one too many. Yeah. Yeah, it did not really... I mean, if you just had the three brothers being, you know, hijacked, the android thing was totally superfluous. It really... Like, you could take that out there and it would it yeah. it would, it would not have harmed the story at all. Yeah, they don't, they don't need the conflict. Like, the three brothers can be characters and companions, but they should be, like, one plot entity. They don't need to have their own interpersonal conflict because we don't care about the resolution between those two brothers. Those aren't characters that we're invested in, so we're not like, oh, those guys should really make up because it's not, you know, so don't... Don't add conflict and tension between two characters that we're never going to see again and that we don't care about. That's just a waste. And does the Doctor really need to be put in a position where he's 
uh, kidnapping these guys and lying to them and locking them in the TARDIS well, so that he if, helps no, them. If they're, if they're going for his That's darker angles, like like Dan was saying with the later tenants, then fine. Then you you could build up to it. But they didn't. They never really committed to that to that trajectory for the season. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't earn that. You know, I just don't. I don't think that that's consistent with Matt Smith and how he's played the Doctor at all. I think that's. I think that's. And he he tries to say later, well, I was just fooling you and faking you out. But I think that's kind of kind of bad. And I I think it's bad. I I have it. I have it. It's a callback to the very first episode. He kidnapped them just like he kidnapped Ian and Barbara. He's just as mean as William Hartnell was. It's the fiftieth anniversary. Happy anniversary, Uh, everyone! I had to restore my Doctor Who cred there somewhere. Well, well played. That's why you're here. Well, Matt Smith does have like he did his, the darkest Matt Smith had is depression because after the whole Amy Pond thing, he supposedly you know right. goes off and is you know boy, what do I do to these poor people or whatever. That's another one of my complaints about this season is that like the the Clara arc was like this season is going to be someone or something has to pull him out of his funk because he's like oh I totally screwed over that Pond girl and, and Rory and everything. What kind of person am I? What am I doing to these people? Like. That is that's his dark side, or at least so far as we've seen. Matt Smith's dark side is being depressed that the Doctor is kind of a terrible person and bad things happen when you're around him. And we needed something this season. It's like who will pull him out of this? But it, you know, within one episode, he's like, "Oh, look at this chipper young girl. She's so cute, and I'm fine. I'm back to being the Doctor." And I didn't like that either. Speaking of overall season things, and I'll just uh, take these three guys who will be of no help into an incredibly dangerous situation for no real reason. <laughs> yes, and they're no help. It'll all be fine. And that guy's not a robot, by the way. What? <laughs> I know. How. Why would you do that to your brother? Like, that, that seems excessively mean. Awful. That's like a, that's like a party a party game, like when you draw a marker on people's faces when they fall asleep, or you make no, someone think he's that's, a robot. No, I mean, that's mean, but that's not excessively mean. We're, it's been pointed out in the chat room that this allows them to have their, their timely and important anti-bullying message. Don't, <laughs> don't tell that kid that he's a don't robot. Don't tell your yeah. little brother he's an android. He might, he might believe it, and it might be funny for the first few years, but eventually it becomes a source of tension. <laughs> it's like in the it's the equivalent of telling your little brother that he's adopted, right? Like, oh yeah, mom and dad don't love you because you're a robot. <laughs> Let me get this straight: there's a horrible accident, your father was killed, and your brother is brain damaged. What do you do? <laughs> you, you make tell fun him of he's the a brain robot. damaged, but yeah, space is lonely, and there's uh, not a lot of entertainment. Wow, Those you got to make nice do with what you guys. have. All right, let's let's um, let's move on. Bad episode. Bad <laughs> Forever. Episode. Uh, what's next? Uh, the Crimson Horror by Mark Yatis, which is the uh, the uh, uh, Penny Dreadful, right? It's it's a uh, there's a there's a horrible secret in the factory, and they go there uh, with uh, and told in an interesting way, where we um, we don't see the Doctor for a while, and it turns out the Doctor's already been there and has been captured and has been. Uh, dipped in a terrible substance that has paralyzed him. But it's we the investigations it. of Madame Vastra, Jenny, and Strax, the our, our uh, intrepid team that we last saw in the uh, the Christmas special. Um, so we've got the Victorian era mystery, um, another Game of Thrones uh, crossover here because the the villain in this oh Diana Rigg Diana Rigg yes I, I kind of like this episode because it was kind of silly up. and silly and ridiculous and fun in. Away again, again, they did a good job of nailing a time period. You got that sort of Victorian era, and I love and all the genre, stuff that right? done. It's it's that it's that kind of story. It's the very Victorian kind of right, you know. right. And I and I enjoy the secondary cast who we've kind of grown to know now, right? You know, Madame Bastra and Jenny and Strax. Um, I, I enjoy their appearances. They have a good dynamic. I really, I really like Strax. I like anything with Strax in it. 
Um, and so, you know, for me, I felt like I enjoyed the first 10, you know, 10, 15 minutes when you don't really get into having the doctor. Um, and then that, to me, that makes it more satisfying when they eventually do get him cleaned up and he gets back into shape there. I mean, I think that He's works the monster, better in some ways. It turns out we've been listening right. to all this time. The it's, Frankenstein mm-hmm. monster. It's the Red Hulk, right? Isn't that yeah. Red Hulk? <laughs> sure. Good. Nice try, John. Good comic book uh, reference. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was a fan. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I love those characters. I mean, I I'm the more the more Strax and Madame Vastra you get, the better. And Jenny actually takes the lead here, which is nice because she was kind of uh, the 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 least focused on of those three characters, I'd say. And you know, I I just it's a Claire is at the back here. Claire kind of doesn't have anything to do here, but as I guess Scott would view that as a plus, right? I, I in fact did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I I I don't know. It was it was a it was fun. It was it was ridiculous, right? Because she's got a rocket. I'm not sure the, how the rocket technology <laughs> that's, that's comes a to be. Thing. And she's it is thing. it yeah. is a steampunk yes, thing. Sure. You're right. You're right. Where are the zeppelins? They just needed some more zeppelins. I, I didn't yeah. realize. I was just looking at the Wikipedia entry. the The actress who plays Diana Riggs' daughter is actually her Diana daughter. Riggs' daughter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, there's a leech. There's like a brain leech that's behind it all. Which <laughs> yeah. I, why I never, not? I never like the, the leech. The leech episodes. I don't like a little a little <laughs> slimy leech. thing. The whole leech <laughs> genre. Yeah, I like. The bug episodes, I'll go with if it's a big bug or something, but the leech episodes where it's just like this little, and then you feel bad for it when it's on the ground, like a little, like a little shrimp crawling around. You're like, eh, that was a, th- that was our existential threat. Meh. That blind girl just had amazing aim, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> She's lashing out with that stick. I, I, yeah. I, I, I gotta give props to, uh, I gotta give props to Diana Rigg for being willing to take the, 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 uh, the leech prosthetic in stride. She's a classy, she's a classy lady. Yeah. It's not the first leech. She's yeah. This seems my this was my favorite of the season. I I, I swear really? it was okay. so much fun. It was it was it was it it had some of the weirdness and not making senseness of uh, Rings of Akaten, but it was just pure fun. Yeah, I agree. That's all I ask for in my Doctor Who is I ask for I ask for fun that doesn't make me angry. <laughs> Yeah, though this was this was yeah. That, I think that's exactly it. Is is I don't I don't necessarily feel like it had the the kind of like the the the, t- the depth or the or the flavor of something like Hyde, but it was. I, I just I had a fun time the entire time. I was just sort of like, oh, this is great. Look at those characters that running around. There's a, of course, there's a leech that's killed. You know, and I I didn't have to. I didn't get upset. It's like, well, I'm mad that it was a leech. That's not, you know, I, my expectations weren't. I was just having fun watching it. it did, of course, there was a brain leech at the end that was, why not? And there's a rocket that's going to take the leech, the red dye thing, and cover the planet in red. And why not? Why not? Why not, indeed? Because of the doctor. He stops it all. Because he stops it all. That's true. That's true. No, I like I liked that. Of course, uh, at the end of this episode, there's also the very strange scene where they go they go home and the kids that Clara is watching say hey there's pictures of you in the past look what we found what bad bad pacing in that part but again clearly something that was tacked on to lead into the next episode. yeah my understanding is that that there was a scene about that in the beginning of neil gaiman's episode and it was um too long so they moved it and inserted something there um but anyway crimson horror and mark gatiss uh as a lifelong fan of doctor who and somebody who's written from the very first season he wrote the charles dickens uh, episode the unquiet dead for for the christopher eccleston season um and he gets a lot of crap from uh doctor who fans who generally i think a lot of them don't like his work 
Um, I think he's hit and miss. Uh, but this I thought was a hit. And uh, I also like the Unquiet Dead. So, uh, you know, and I thought Cold War was okay. But this was, I thought, his his winner from this season. I just thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, Jason, I like I like your idea of Neil Cross being the next showrunner, but I think the odds on favor is clearly Gatiss. Yeah. Clearly. Uh, let's talk about Nightmare in Silver, which is uh, Neil Gaiman's episode. Now, of course, Neil Gaiman, uh, comic book author, uh, novelist, uh, generally uh, beloved writer. Uh, Man about town. He is a raconteur. Yes, absolutely. And People uh, love him. People love him, and people loved The Doctor's Wife, which is an episode that he wrote for for last season and eh, not so much <laughs> scott didn't like it so much. i liked it i don't think it was the best episode of that season which a lot of people do but i liked it and and it turns out nightmare in silver seems to be an episode that is uh quite polarizing um i liked it i'll i'll just say that i don't get the cybermen i'll just say that well, the Cybermen. Nobody likes the Cybermen. Come haven't on. we are already? Are there dis- Cybermen fans out there somewhere? <laughs> I like maybe. Raise your head if you like the Cybermen. I like. The, I can't. It's a podcast. You can't see the hands. I still can't. I still can't entirely distinguish them from Daleks. At best, they're charmingly incompetent. I don't think they're charming. I, I. So here's the thing. This this episode was not great, but I thought it was fine. I thought it was actually kind of. Uh, your average fine Doctor Who episode in that there are some things to like. It's not ever going to be on my all-time best list. I like the little cyber mites, the like little Keeper Crawley Silver <laughs> cyber things. I like Warwick, Warwick Davis in this um, is great. I thought he was yes. fantastic he's in trying, this. He's trying to be channel a little Dinklage there, the put-upon royal uh, short person. Yeah, I actually was <laughs> thinking, I, I was thinking player cards, right, Warwick? You, too, could yeah. be in the Game of Thrones. I don't know. So. I mean, is there anybody... In, I, I, I've seen Warwick Davis in a lot of things over the years. Is there anything that he's really terrible in? I feel like the most part, he's he's pretty solid. Well, he was given a good he's part. Good like, the part he was given this was... This is a was, good yeah, part, absolutely. though, right? When I saw him, like, underneath the little chest thing, I'm like, oh, they're not doing this. But I, I was satisfied with his eventual role in the proceedings. Yeah, I mean, the, the, he, he starts as the, you know, guy under the, under the chessboard, or you think, and you are supposed to think, oh, boy. And over the course of time, you know, it, it's revealed who he actually is, which... I don't know. Did was anybody surprised when that was revealed? Because I nah, I saw it coming. I, I mean, not really, but like, I, like they gave him. They actually <laughs> gave him line a few things to say that he. I think he has a certain gravitas now that he didn't have as like, you know, like wicked or whatever. <laughs> or Willow, yeah, yeah. No, Willow. I I really liked him and Willow. I will defend Willow and his part in it. Sure, it but uh, gravitas was not. Uh, yeah, it was like, that, seven, it was like not seventeen what, in Willow. I think. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, not, they weren't but, shooting yeah, for he, gravitas. <laughs> No, but here he's a, he's a believable, you know, emperor who's kind of le- legged it and doesn't want to be the emperor for a while, right? Which, is, a, which is an old story, you know. That, yeah. that I like that. I, I I like that a lot. Now the Cybermen, you know, uh, there are things about the Cybermen in this episode that I liked. I don't think that I would actually say they were scary. I felt they're like never they were. Scary. They were no, they're never scary. I, I like them better than the old kind of clanky marchy Cybermen. Um, well, here's the problem with yeah. the Cybermen, right? Because everyone's like, oh my god, Cybermen, we destroyed entire galaxies because of the Cybermen. We can't beat the Cybermen. If you jog away from a Cyberman, <laughs> he can't catch up to you, unless he's that one special one Cyberman at the guy. beginning that was really cool, because he was fast, and I thought, oh my god, the Cybermen now are actually a threat. But then no other Cyberman does that. Well, they're like I'm zombies. Like, they're, they're metal zombies. They're very ugly. They are kind of metal Except zombies. for the one really fast one. How come the... I don't understand. And then every, uh, my wife was like, well, maybe the other ones do 
didn't upgrade to that thing. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't they when they saw that, that it worked? All the other ones could upgrade instead of having to, like, take off their head to lure someone in. They could just go really fast and kill everyone. Also, aren't they cyborgs? Shouldn't they not be able to detach their heads because there presumably is, like, a skull and yeah, stuff? Right. It's Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. It's, it's in the Wi-Fi. It's Bluetooth, actually, because it's close proximity. The head can't be too far away. Other thing that's great about this is... Um, I thought Matt Smith did a great job in this, in the scenes where he gets attached. I mean, and again, how do you make the Cyberman interesting is you have this whole other thing that's not a Cyberman, but it's the, the cyber, cyber planner, planner yes. that's attached to his face and you uh, one side of his face and you get all those he shots a, where, he where he's talking to himself or, or we actually see him sort of inside his mind talking. And I liked all of that. I thought that was, I thought that was actually really good stuff and actually showed too that Matt Smith is actually a pretty good actor and that he isn't just the doctor in real life and that's the only kind of part he can play. He he does some really nice things as the cyber planner and as about the, and as the cyber planner Mr. Clever uh posing as the doctor but not actually the doctor. I I I thought that was all really good stuff. But they could have done more with his uh like when Clara's trying to tell whether it's him or not because I'm I'm like desperate for some kind of real interaction between the two of them. So they got like one or two little exchanges but not much, but I and I also wish there was a slightly more clever resolution to the chess thing. But it's, you know what they did was fine. But I, I overall I liked that the all of the things they tried to do in the episode. Uh, you know the premise they dispensed with pretty quickly once he became the two people thing. I like that idea. I like the chess game and sort of the internal battle versus the external one. I, I guess I didn't like the Cyberman, but whatever. They march around, they get zapped, blah, blah, blah. I like the randomness of being in the in the castle at the amusement park, although I've had it pointed out to me by a few people that it's introduced as being kind of like a wacky castle, and there's nothing wacky in it. It's Not just so wacky. a castle. They, they got to they gotta go work yeah. with what they have in England. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. it's the, yeah. the double blind. They call it the wacky castle. You go into it. It's not wacky, not, and that's why it's wacky. Not wacky. This is the one episode uh, that I did wish got expanded into a two-parter. Um, if I'm a I'm a big game and fanboy, um, but I thought there were problems in the script here that needed to. There was stuff that just happened too fast. Except for the Cyberman walking. If you go to Gaiman's blog and all this other stuff, um, he was actually fairly frank talking about scenes that got cut uh, all over the place. There was actually an explanation of why the kids were put to bed in the room in harm's way instead of inside the TARDIS and things like that. You know, I, I thought that this episode could have been expanded into a two-parter and um, held up pretty well. Well, I would have been happy to see more Warwick Davis. And, and you're right, the um, that's some bad nannying, right? <laughs> as, it, as it is on screen. <laughs> It'll be fine. It's just, let's go to bed here in this scary alien planet. No, the TARDIS isn't big enough for them. Yeah, well, there's a whole scene. Not, there's about not, there's how, no room. How they can't go back there, but well, if they, if they they're afraid of bunk beds. Well, you know, do you see what happens when you let people wander around the TARDIS? They could turn into a time zombie. That's no good. It's true. Mm. But the doctor could just Shanghai somebody to help yeah. them find. Them. I really like the end too, where um, uh, Porridge, the Emperor, Emperor, Great Emperor Porridge, uh, proposes to Clara. I thought that was funny. And it's like you could be the queen of the universe, and she, nah. But it, but but she tells the doctor to shut up, right? That's, it's like that's, he's just, could, what, that's just what uh, it was. An Arya said, "What if I never want to be queen of the universe? Mm. Stop crossing over the things. Can't, it's all it's all one big it's all, <laughs> it's one, all big one big soup. show. When the TARDIS lands in Westeros, then we'll wait. No, that's very confusing. I guarantee you that fan fiction has been written. I'm sure you would watch that episode to admit it. My other problem with this episode, which I thought was fine overall. I mean, I fine. don't think Cyberman. I think yeah. they're stupid, but that's not yeah. the old game's fault. Uh, 
is that uh, so Porridge had the ability to uh, activate this bomb, right, and then get everyone immediately teleported away. So why didn't he do that sooner? I know he was like, oh, I don't want to blow up another well, planet. He, he didn't want to what blow his blow his cover. He was wanted to get away what, from the what? royal life. It, it doesn't make any sense. Well, he, they are being threatened by the most by thousands uh, of insanely scary. A uh, threat that humanity well, has ever There was just like one of them in the beginning, and then there's slowly like walking Cybermen, <laughs> and he doesn't think oh. that maybe I should just you know use my uh, intercontinental missile here and get picked up by my flagship that can instantly yeah. teleport me across the universe away from this thing. He does it eventually. He just waits till the last possible minute. That's all. Well, of course. Want to see who's going to win the chess game? Yeah, it wouldn't be an episode otherwise. All right, let's move on to the last episode of the season, which uh, aired very recently, The Name of the Doctor, uh, where there is the most uh, bizarre conference call in history that's the sleep conference call across time. And then uh, there there are these scary guys called the Whisper Men who kidnap everybody and take them to Trenzalore, where the Doctor is supposed to never go because that's where he is buried that is his tomb which actually is a callback to an earlier episode where uh in Hyde where Clara asks if her grave is out there somewhere when they reach the end of the earth and he says yes all of our graves are out there somewhere and uh and here it is and we we get to see River Song uh we we discover the mystery of uh, uh of Clara and how she came to be the impossible girl we find the final uh plan i guess of the great intelligence which is to get that doctor once and for all yeah, I'll show him. <laughs> is his name sarcastic? More like infinitely and all, in for all. Yeah, and and also this serves as the. I was selling this to John earlier today. This also serves as, in some ways, the. Uh, this is the official 50th anniversary fan service episode where it's like we're going to show you all the classic Doctor Who actors or costumes or whatever in this episode, presumably so that they don't have to do that in the actual 50th anniversary episode that's coming in November. I wouldn't, I would not presume that at all. Well, because they showed the same three clips like 17 times. Let's hope. Presumably they have a deeper library and they're like, all right, for this show, just keep showing those same three clips, but for for the 50th. (laughs) Not on the BBC's budget. The rest of the library has been lost. (laughs) Yeah, it's been deleted. It's probably on YouTube somewhere. They taped it over. So, uh, Benny Hill. Yeah, so this this episode is we learn that uh Clara is special because she throws herself into the doctor's uh time stream basically because the great intelligence has used it to go back in time and sort of wrong everyone's rights <laughs> <laughs> and and do bad things to everything that the doctor has done that was good and so she's there she jumps in to counteract him. Um I'm interested what you guys thought of this. I, I my my take on it is that it was again. This is a, I know this. I'm sounding like a broken record here, but kind of a mess. Kind of a lot going on. I thought there were some really interesting parts, um, but it felt in some ways like Stephen Moffat sort of knew what he wanted to do, and then constructed an episode around where he wanted to go, which is not the same thing as telling. I think as telling a good story, it's more like just. Uh, you know, workmanlike reaching a destination in, you know, throwing in the things to, to get there. So he, he's, he's, yeah, he's ticking the boxes. Yeah. Right? Like that's, it's, it's uneven as it doesn't feel natural to, to do it. It feels like kind no. of a mess that just inevitably leads to the thing he needed to, to get. If to. only he had done even that over the course of this entire season. Like, I don't think he even ticked the boxes because if this is where he was trying to go, like 
that sorry, so this is a Clara's eventual arc. Like where I have I have an explanation of how she's an impossible girl. It's gonna lead to that last episode where you're gonna understand why. Like, is that it? It's like two points and nothing in between. There's no real arc. And so uh, by the time you get to this last episode, I'm perfectly fine with the explanation of how she's an impossible girl, but you you didn't correctly spend your season to make me care about that. You didn't earn it. You didn't show your work. And yeah. I, I would go further. I would actually say this would have been a great episode with a couple of things being different. One is, um, if this was a companion who we'd seen for longer... Yeah. So that the jeopardy of the sacrifice would have been greater. And ideally, this would be their sacrifice. They wouldn't come back. We could see them again, but it was always the echoes of the original. That would be really sad, but also not quite as brutal as a real death. Um, but certainly, even if they didn't die permanently, if it was somebody we'd really been invested in, somebody like 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 Rose or or like what happens to to Donna yeah, at but the Donna end. Donna was only here for one season too, and that like brings. Well, yeah, but Claire is a half. A season. But it was thirteen episodes, right? Claire like is seven, eight episodes. Claire's thing I think really makes it hard to get into. I mean, you know, even with Amy, you know, we had what two and a half two, years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a long time. Right? And I mean, that would have hurt a lot more if that had been Amy. I would have much rather had this be Amy, right, than, than this. And then the other thing I would say is the great intelligence is the other problem here, which is that's a villain that we've only had for half a season. And again, if this was, and this is sort of what the episode was trying to go for, you get the sense that the great intelligence has like been waiting through all time and space to get to this point because he fancies himself the doctor's greatest enemy. And if this and the doctor's been, like, who? Yeah, if this had been an enemy, <laughs> You were you were in one episode with Snowman. If, if this had been the master or, or or somebody else who's sort of like got this long history and we've seen them over years, even if it was just a couple years, but it's preferably a long time. And this is sort of like their final gambit, which is I'm going to kill myself, but I get to erase everything good you've ever done. That would have also had a huge impact. But neither of these stories has the same impact because we've only really been following them for eight episodes and only spotty even then. Even if you had had the great intelligence go in like that to screw everything up and then not resolved it right now. like. But the problem is the entire episode, to me, I, I turned to the person I was watching with afterwards and said, is it just me or was that entire episode lead up to like the last 30 seconds? Like it felt to me very much like, all right, we're done with this thing. We're moving on to some other big mystery. Like if you had set up the idea like, okay, the great intelligence has now gone back and screwed with everything the doctor's ever done. Let's spend a season exploring like what the impact of that might be. But it doesn't the impact of this is thirty seconds long because then Claire is like, All right, I'll fix it. It's like, all right, well that was pointless. Yeah, the stars go out, she goes back in, they come back on. Yay. Or they could they didn't even show the great intelligence doing anything into the other time streams, right? He was just in there and we assume the doctor's convulsing on the floor, so we assume bad things are happening. They don't really show and they don't even really show they show Clara talking to the other doctors, but she's not really doing anything to thwart anything seemingly she's just like oh hey look there's the doctor fly uh, driving past in that stupid car he had to do in that season <laughs> and <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was just odd and i think that so the reason i don't like clara is that and i really so donna was my favorite companion and i feel like the difference between donna and clara is that donna was a character clara's a plot device that was meant to lead up to this episode and i thought at the end of this episode i was hoping that Clara would be dead because that would make it at least a little more interesting and that she wouldn't come back because I don't like her. But <laughs> the, I, I thought it would make more sense. But then I'm like, oh, at the end, oh, she's fine and we'll, you know, do stuff. Hooray. And just kind of cheapened the whole – it didn't – It didn't. there was no peril there, right? Because it, it was all 
lickety split done. You can take heart that the real Clara is actually dead and only her echo is. No. No. Because no. the doctor goes in and pulls her back out. Uh, sorry. Well, yeah. The, 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 I thought, he goes back in. He gets, grabs her hand. You got the guy, you know, you got John Hurt there with John the back turn and everything, right? And they go off camera. But is she going to be just back full-fledged exactly as she was? No consequences? I, I assume I'm, so. I'm not yes. keeping up with the news, so she's this. She's going to be back again. The the actress is in the uh, Christmas in the uh, November twenty third special, um, and I don't think, uh, and I think it's been announced that she's going to be in series eight uh, as well. So right, well, I think no. she keeps on, no, keeps on keeping on. Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, just to put on my Doctor Who nerd hat again, uh, the the Great Intelligence hasn't been has been around for a bit longer than half a season. Well, he has, but we haven't seen him since I, before I was born. So I think that even though he right. he did have his robotic yeti in the um, underground during Patrick Troughton's era, it, it's not as if this is somebody who we felt like finally at last I'm going to sacrifice. Right? He's he's it's been off. It was revived eight episodes for, ago. For those who only watch the reboot, then there that has no meaning other than what we Wikipedia. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I, I'm actually going. I'm actually going going somewhere with that because this this episode was pretty much universally adored by uh the classic who fans and the people who hang out on the doctor who forums and things like that it it works as an homage to old doctor who with lots of references in it i I, yeah yeah and and that and that's what that's what it has going for it um it's a mess though um and (laughs) as much as i as much as i want to like it because I, i you know i i have the fan gene i like having it uh as a friend of mine says on another podcast I'm happy to have my fan gene serviced, um, but but uh, but Stephen Moffat is totally into uh, throwing out lots and lots of ideas and explaining the ideas that he feels he needs to, and just and dismissing dispensing with explanations for the ideas he doesn't have to. He he, he explanations are not necessary as long as they get him where he wants to go and. There's so much of that happening in this episode that it's it, it's just plain hard to follow. Yeah, I yeah, I, yeah. I didn't even understand necessarily the resolution of the Doctor going inside his own timeline. I really thought that was going to cause a little bit more of a paradox than, hey, I'm in some creepy cave place. <laughs> um, I, I mean, like, that should be a real problem, right? Like, going into you in your own go, timeline, yeah. How, I don't even understand. It doesn't even make any sense. Again, and this is kind of going back to John's point about at least be consistent in your own, you know, ridiculous stuff. Like to me, that didn't really make any sense. I mean, I could yeah, see they had just they had just explained before he went in. They had this whole big exposition where like, ca- that different characters talk to each other. Destroy the universe. Yeah, they they all talk to each other <laughs> yeah. to explain to the audience what the what's at stake with this thing, and then immediately subvert everything that they said. Yeah, I was really sad to see. I feel like they squandered the Whisper Men, which was yet another. Great production value on those villains who again, yeah, creepy, and, and they were creepy, but they what but they're were like they? there for five minutes and they're like nobody well, cares. They, it's like they had funny hats, they had a top hat. I like their little uh creepy rhymes. I hated the rhymes, yeah. The rhymes, Stephen Moffat's got a thing for nursery rhymes and and all that. And I, yeah, I didn't, they, I, they reminded me of a cross like between the, the silence and the gentleman from the bu- Buff, hush the from Buffy, Buffy yeah, yeah. Uh, and which is good. Those, both of those things I thought were very scary, and they combined into something also scary. I, I like the silence a lot better than these guys. Well, I, it could have been the silence, and it would have mattered, right? Like they were—they were not point. There was no point. Yeah, to these guys could have been something, 
but they're just the lackeys of the great intelligence. That's sort of all the, all they are. The not so great intelligences. I wanted to say, I, and I think Chip is spot on that. That, um, and, and it goes back to what I said earlier too. That it's Moffat wants to do what he wants to do, and if the um, if the boxes aren't all connected, then he kind of doesn't care. And I think, yeah, you can explain it all away. And I, I, I am tired of uh, people poking holes in fantasy stories, saying, "Well, what about this?" Because there's you could explain away a lot of things, but it does feel like you you want to kind of have a natural progression and. It, it, it was really kind of jerky, like, you know, okay, I guess this is happening now, but I don't really understand why. There was a lot of cool stuff in here. Again, I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that there wasn't. I'm saying that it didn't connect. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff. The TARDIS being big and being his tomb and being overgrown. Yeah, that, that, that was my favorite. My favorite part of the whole episode was, like, the Fields of Trenzalore. I think that was just teased this season, maybe? Uh, yeah, or last back, episode of last, of last season. One. Right, yeah. Like I, I, That was teased for an appropriate amount of time, and I thought it was cool seeing the big TARDIS being the grave and the, the idea that Trenzalore was his grave. All that gives a big thumbs up. So I was like, and I'm also, I also like the idea of the impossible girl, the explanation of how she becomes what she is. It's just that, once again, this episode had lots of other stuff in it, and the River Song stuff, as much <laughs> as I liked it, because I like those, you know, yeah. who doesn't love River Song, right? Uh, it was kind of like, hey, remember, remember when we had good episodes with this lady? Remember that? <laughs> well, and they and they even undo the things that are good. Like, I mean, I I thought again, effectively uh, sad was the the murder of Jenny, and then they completely oh, you know right. wiped that out. That there, was such no... a great that was such a great scene where she's like, I've oh, been I've murdered. I've been murdered. I'm sorry. Yeah, what? I mean, like that gave me chills. But they're killing me, and I'm dead. <laughs> yeah <laughs> why are you still kicking me um like that was, no i i that was so I, creepy, I really right yeah but the problem is that then they pull the punches yeah. right and, and then it's they, like right, everybody we, lives we like her too Moffat. much everybody yeah, lives and so that that bummed me out i mean not yeah. that i didn't like her but river song uh this is the first time we've seen her after she was saved to the library in her first appearance after she died and was saved to the library and i thought this was the best thing in this episode because it was handled properly um, it wasn't cute. It was, in fact, you could argue the most genuine relationship between River and the Doctor since Silence in the Library, where he didn't know who she was. The kiss that they share is the maybe the only time that it felt non-ironic in any way that it actually had meaning. And and even though we may see her again, I'm pretty sure this is the end of her existence. Agreed. In, in her right. timeline, and I thought it was a fitting goodbye that she's from the library, she's still got a little bit more information to give to the doctor, and then they say goodbye, and she says, say it like we're going to see each other again, instead of saying goodbye. I thought that was great. I, I You know, it, there are lots of other problems with this episode, but I felt like that was handled perfectly. There's one other huge thing about this episode that I want to mention, and, um, it, and it saves the episode for me. Um, and it it's it actually subverts the idea of who the doctor is and uh right. reintroduces some mystery to the doctor and that's actually kind of huge um this uh this sort of contradictory uh caption at the end you know we've just been told that John Hurt's not the doctor and introducing John Hurt as the doctor <laughs> uh fate bbc bad captions <laughs> bad yeah, captioning it was, it was a little weird to have that on screen yeah. did that feel weird yeah. to anyone like i i mean he turned around and i'm like it's john hurt you they know were like, trying to explain <laughs> to people because the doctor looks different you could show a guy and they're like who's that guy i mean as it is i thought it was fairly clear what they're saying here which is essentially 
this is this is a past doctor who did something so bad that he can't even be known as the doctor and how audacious is that to do that but but people people don't get it so the bbc and right. the producer said we'll just put it on the screen yeah that was him with a big yeah. Yeah. With an arrow but but yeah. chip you're right chip you're absolutely right what a wild i mean i love that it's really more about what happens in the next episode presumably but i do love right. that that with that stroke moffat has has called into question all sorts of assumptions we make about the character of the doctor this is the real mm-hmm. unbelievable thing that we're learning not the name of the doctor which would be boring because it would be something boring or right. weird johnny it's the fact that we may not even know all the doctors because we because here's john hurt and he's the doctor and he's been disowned by Matt Smith. He's like, I don't even, he didn't even, you know, live up to the name, which is like, wow. So that's why you count by fives, like in basics when you're doing line numbers, because you want to leave room between the doctors, because you never know when you're going to need to go back. <laughs> Insert. Well, so I, I presume the very fact that they mentioned the Valyard in, during, in conversation was to dispel anybody from thinking that, that John Hurt the is the Valyard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my only other theory was that it seems like in general, the doctors get younger and younger, right? Like William Hartnell was really old. And they've they've tended to get younger tended, sure. as we've gone along. I mean, for the most part, yeah, right? But I mean, Peter like Davison was was younger, and then they went older. Old people are ugly. That's why they keep getting younger. Well, I, and so I was wondering if this is the is this is the very first incarnation of the Doctor pre William Hartnell was my my other theory. That's the other theory, but I think that that this is the one who did the Time War and killed all everybody in the Time War. And that I you know what that's pretty cool. Although it screws up everybody's numbering. God damn it! Well, no, because he's not the Doctor, right? I know. Except he says but, the but Doctor. Isn't that great? Except John Hurt is the Doctor. He's Doctor ish. Look, there's nothing that would. I'm sure there's nothing that would make Stephen Moffat happier than what is happening right now, which is all these people saying but then the numbers are wrong and all right just exactly. like drive the fans insane make them just like their heads explode it's gonna be the doctor with an asterisk well we, remember we <laughs> talked about like uh, two seasons ago we, we talked about the like well what is it like 13 regenerations like oh they've already extended it to 14 or whatever like the, the end of the regenerations if they're going to run this series well here's the easy out for you it's like aha really it's x number of regenerations but the only regenerations that count are when he's officially acting yeah. as the doctor or something I don't know. But I, that was fun because it was a head scratcher, although even then it was so kind of oddly done with his name and the titles. My kids thought that his name was John Hurt. Like that was he does they don't know that he's an actor. They thought he was like John wow. is hurting the Why is John hurting the doctor? Why? Why? That's John, his name. The doctor is John Smith, but this guy is John Hurt, so he hurts people. No, that's not it. It's the name of the actor. He's actually the doctor. Oh. Is it Jason? <laughs> Yeah, or is or is it? he? Well, I like the you know what I like the the uh, your idea about it being the time war because that is something we've heard about since the beginning of the right. Eccleston, right? And that's all new from the reboot era, right? It doesn't ex- that's the that's the 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 biggest gap in Doctor Who history, right? Is from the old right. series to the new series, and there's the middle where there was Paul McGann and then and then Christopher Eccleston and what happened in between. So it slides right on in there. I think there could be. I, I'm looking forward to the 50th anniversary episode because I actually do feel like, in some ways, uh, this last episode of the season was 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 set up and clearing away some of the obligatory classic Doctor Who references to then tell a, a different story for the 50th. We'll see. Yeah, I'm 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 intrigued sufficiently. Right. I mean, and maybe. Maybe John Hurt can be the new companion, and then <laughs> Scott will feel better. <laughs> Scott will Maybe be he's Clara. He's the impossible doctor. <laughs> that that would be impossible. So uh, I guess to sum up that we all seem fairly uh, 
fairly disappointed by this uh, this half season. Does that sound about right? I was I was I was beside myself early on because I thought after Cold War aired, I thought, oh geez, they've completely lost it. And then uh, there managed to be some redemptive episodes that came on after it, including Hyde, which I really glommed onto and was like, yay, it's a good episode. Uh, but in general, I was, you know, it was kind of a letdown. And, uh, and if you, if you compare it to the the first half of the season, it's sort of a, a big letdown because I don't think, I think that the batting average was way lower this, this uh, season as a whole than it was uh, the previous two years of the, of the Moffat era for, for sure. Yeah, I didn't think, I thought there were not lots of super terrible, like claw your eyeballs out episodes, <laughs> but there were also very few really amazing ones. Yeah, so I thought it was fair enough. a low average and it was just kind of forgettable. I didn't find myself getting angry at it, like, you know, but it was just kind of like, meh, meh, you know. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was consistently. I, I thought it was consistently enjoyable, but never spectacular. I, I wanted to look forward to all the episodes more. I mean, I still look forward to them, but then I get to the end and I feel kind of like, yeah, I, I wish that had been done better. Like, I mean, I don't remember. Like looking back now, I'm trying to remember when I thought that was that that high water mark. <laughs> um, and it may, as much as I love Matt Smith, it may have been the you know the Tenant era, especially towards the end. But. Yeah, Tenant and, and uh, with with Catherine Tate, maybe. Well, well back yeah, in those ones, really... they used to have like there was always one or two really great ones. And the thing is, like you know, Donna, like I. I don't know if you clarified this before. She she was only one season, right? Yeah. And like yep. I think I think back on that, and it stretches out so far in my mind that it shows that even just with one season and one companion, if you have a good story, we forgive the crappy episodes. We only remember the good ones, and you know, like it it stands out more. And I think even like the Amy Pond series, which towards the end I was you know getting grumpy about. Even that, watching this season, I'm thinking back to, I'm finding my mind wandering back to, like, remember when Amy Palm was old and they let her die? Yeah, that was the well, stuff, you know? Like, that, was, well, that was the best episode of that season, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, it, it, this this season made me just think back to other episodes that I like better. And, it, and, and I totally acknowledge that I think that there were not any terrible stinkers in this one, but it's just, it didn't, it didn't rise up. And, you know, it gets back to what Scott was saying about Clara, that just her being a plot device rather than a character, which is disappointing because I really did like the actress. I'm actually hopeful that now that she, since she is coming back and she no longer has the burden of being the impossible girl, she may actually be a better character. As, as strange as well, that sounds, what's her, what's her story now? Like, what is her arc? What is what is her? Well, what, what is I, her I think it would be awfully refreshing if her her story was that she was the Doctor's companion and liked to travel with him and wasn't part of some complicated time travel based. Yeah, story but, arc but then it's right? all then it's all the, the episodes for them to be like actual good episodes with interesting sci-fi premises yeah. or whatever that's i love tall that <laughs> well i mean her her hook can be she was the impossible girl she saved him and now they and, and now they've got a bond because of that um i i love matt smith and jenna louise coleman as actors um and i i think they can do interesting stuff with her going on in the future the the trick is going to be to give her a character arc because Moffat made this mistake with Amy Pond. Uh, he made her the mystery to be solved. And then when that mystery was over and done with, then they had to figure out what to do with her <laughs> right. and Rory. And that was, and, and I would like to see him not make that same mistake. Right. I agree. All right. We have talked, uh, talked, uh, talked it out. We've solved all the problems of Dr. Who. Uh, we will roll on to the 50th anniversary 
where there will be a special on the actual day. It's a Saturday, no less, so it's perfect. I utterly failed to model brevity tonight, didn't I? That's okay. <laughs> we, uh, we ran a little long. We, we've, we've ruined you. We've, we've, we've brought you over to our side. This is the 200-minute Time Lord. Um, the, so the 50th anniversary in November on a Saturday. There's also, as Chip mentioned earlier, the uh, docudrama written by Mark Gatiss about the creation of the show, which I, I was actually uh, actually met Chip at the Gallifrey One convention in L.A. Uh, last year when one of the, the original director of the first episode of Doctor Who spoke. Uh, it's a great story of how this show got on the air by, against all odds with a with a team of misfits essentially who were the rejects of the BBC who the, all the old guard of the BBC didn't want them to, to didn't want to work on this ridiculous show and so they kind of cast off all these people and they made this thing that has endured for fifty years so I'm looking forward to the the docudrama that is is also coming uh, in November and then there will be a Christmas special after that and there will be a new series next year it's been announced. Uh, I'm I'm going to assume that's going to be it for Stephen Moffat and Matt Smith after that season, but we'll see. Um, so there's a lot more to come, and uh, I hope Spring's Eternal. I'm looking forward to it, even though this year has not been the greatest. So anyway, and and Scott doesn't doesn't like Clara. Shame, shame. I I just met you, and you're now dead to me. <laughs> Don't worry, I, I've broken myself into fragments, and I'll just you'll just keep meeting me. And, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's diabolical alright uh, I would like to thank my guests for spending all this time talking Doctor Who uh, Scott McNulty you will always be known as the man who didn't like Clara Good night. I was shocked when Doctor Who's name turned out to be yes it was it was shocking I, I did not expect who knew thank you you've ruined everything uh, Dan Warren thank you I was also really surprised when I got nothing. I'm yeah. tired. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> John, Syracu- you John Syracusa, thank you for being here. You know, Jason, if the TARDIS is infinite, isn't any place in it the center? Yeah. I don't think the TARDIS is infinite. I think that's wrong. I heard it on a podcast once. I don't know. Yeah. I don't believe mm-hmm. it. And Chip, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your uh, sharing your perspective. And I enjoy your podcast so much that I, I just wanted to have you visit us. So thank you very much. I appreciate it, Jason. Thanks a lot. Chip, you are, uh, I, I mentioned your podcast. It's the Two Minute Time Lord. Tell people where you can find it. It's at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Numeral Two Minute Time Lord. Numeral Two Minute Time. I listened to the podcast. I could have. I could have said that. I, you probably could have done it word for word. They're not all quite two minutes long, but they're short, and I like that. They're short and little essays about Doctor Who. It's very nice. Do you regret using both the numeral two and then spelling it out in the URL? So now you you are forever having to distinguish which one is spelled out and which one uses the numeral. And constantly being mocked for it by my fellow Doctor Who podcasters <laughs> behind right. their blue snowballs. Yes. No. Numeral. Okay. Two-minute time. Lord. And we'll get you back for that Babylon 5 episode, which will eventually happen. Woohoo! Yeah. Until then, uh, this is Jason Snell for The Incomparable. We'll see you later. Wait, wait a second. Did we do a show on the first half of the season already? We did. We did. Was I on that show? You were. Yeah, I think you were. Well, yeah, a, right. a fragment of you <laughs> was I'll on that your, show, John. I'll take your word for it. Have I died before? What are you saying? All right, go ahead. <laughs>
You're Actually, the impossible I boy. In, I stepped into a vortex and uh, erased your participation. Oh, in. that's true. Oh, yeah, we rebooted it. Now, now it makes perfect sense. Podcasts I, can be I rewritten. I feel much better about that. You are now played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, well, that's something. Upgrade. See? Yeah. 